are we only capturing the audio or is this is the zoom being captured for the podcast yeah i'll, as I'll well? capture audio and video if you don't mind okay well no that's fine i wore my first delaware regiment shirt just uh, for the <laughs> for the <laughs> in honor of the occasion it's such a small logo here you probably can't see it but it's also new york yankee blue and judge we hope is going to hit his 61st home run tonight so um it's wow. an homage to uh, many things at one time subtle <laughs> subtle but subtle but important no nonetheless that's great mark it's great to connect with you i hope you're doing well i haven't talked to you in a while doing real well um if I may, on a personal note, my my first grandchild, it's a daughter, granddaughter, celebrated her one-year birthday just this weekend, just this past weekend. Uh, my kids live in California, so they came east with the baby to Sarasota, where my daughter-in-law's people have kind of an enclave. There's a bunch of them there, the grandparents, the parents, one of the brothers, you know, they all ended up down there and so we hopped in the car and drove down from here with my other son and it was really a wonderful uh a wonderful thing and so so that's going real well thanks for asking yeah well congratulations grandpa i, I like that <laughs> have you what what is uh what are you going to have the grandbaby call you is it going to be grandpa or is there well, something more creative well, yeah, and I'll and I'll tell you the truth because I like you. Um, <laughs> um, everybody else is picking some sort of like, I mean, cutesy name. I think one grandmother is GG, one grandmother is DD, all that junk. Um, right. Our my heritage is Slovak. I'm I'm a hundred percent Slovak, and uh, so grandfather in Slovak is Zedo. And I called my grandparents, my two grandfathers, Zedo, and uh, my children referred to my father as Zedo. Um, and so I'm passing that along. There's not a lot. I mean, with every successive generation, you know, that that heritage really finds a way of getting watered down and becoming more homogeneous and and stuff, especially, you know, in this country. Um, we still eat the foods. I still speak the language a little bit. But my sons are, you know, really on a long tether at this point. So I figure if I if I at least have the baby call me Zedda, then that's something, right? That's terrific. <laughs> because then she'll ask. One day she'll ask. And then there can be an explanation. And then that can lead to more learning and awareness and stuff like that. Oh, that's that's <laughs> wonderful. That's a, a great link, great link to your lineage and history, I'm sure you're your grandparents would be would be very proud. I, you know, I don't have a, a grandkid yet. Um, I'm sure I will in the in the in the future, uh, next five to ten years, but uh, who knows when. But um, it's interesting. You know, I I grew up in the South. Well, at least that, that's where my family was from originally, and so Mama and Papa is a common. Uh, grandfather and and I remember once I call I I was embarrassed by that at some point and I called my grandmother uh, instead of calling her mama I called her grand grandmother and she almost slapped me you know into the next aisle of the grocery store um, because it, it had to be papa and mama but um, you know I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Harold 
I think that my grandkids are going to call me Harold. I'm going to stick stick that out. I'm going to start a new tradition. Um, you are definitely an iconoclast, and uh, <laughs> and you will start a new trend. Um, let me also add, since you were kind enough to ask, uh, you know, I'm semi-retired, Harold. You, you know that, I think. Yes. Uh, so I have a few, I have a few clients. I'm a partner in a in a consulting firm, but I've been working with uh, my largest client is the Association of Food and Drug Officials, uh, who represent the um, uh, heads of departments of health and departments of agriculture across the United States. It's their it's their regulatory association, if you will, and they're a client of mine. And I've been working with them on a project now for, well, it's about a year and six, I'm going to say a year and eight to nine months at this point. We're finally wrapping the project. I've just come back from Orlando where I spoke at a conference about this project. And I'm really, really excited to report uh, that um, our work is going to be published in peer-reviewed journal um, next spring and also in the leading trade magazine for um, the restaurant and, and food safety community. So um, semi-retired, but still finding a way to make a difference. To make uh, a contribution. A little one anyway. Yeah, good for you, Mark. I'd yeah. love to hear that. Yeah. Love to hear that. Um, well, let's start off with the TriPAC 2. I saw that... Um, just last week, it passed 500 orders on P500, so it's official. Congratulations yep. on that. Thanks. It's uh, I checked this morning in anticipation of our call. It was at 526 this morning. Um, we hit 500 in, I don't know, three weeks and a couple days, I guess, something like that. So very excited about that pace and certainly thankful, grateful to all our uh, the cadre players out there and others who were, um, you know, kind enough to to jump to jump on that. Really excited about that because it brings back three of the long out of print games. This one, this tri pack, is going to include Monmouth, um, which people have been asking for forever. It seems now, Germantown, and the dual game Newtown and Oriskany. So just like in the first tri pack where you had four games, the second tri-packs also going to give you four games. It's, it's kind of, we've, we've, I don't know how this happened. You know, they're tri-packs with four battles, four games. Right. Oh, well, well it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's an a added bonus. Point. Yeah. It's a talking point, but um, some, uh, as we did with tri-pack one, these aren't just reprints. They're, these are upgrades, improvements, legitimate second editions, you'd say. Um, Ariskany is going to see the most makeover. Uh, that one was designed uh, by Don Hanley and, um, you know, under under the BOAR umbrella. And uh, we're adding uh, two new scenarios. I think I, I advertised that we were adding one, but it's going to end up being two new scenarios. Um, and we're introducing opportunity cards to the game. So those changes are pretty significant and value added. Um, Newtown um, isn't going to really see any changes, but the thing about Newtown that I'm really uh, happy to report, you know, that one, that one is unique in the series in that 
it, it represents an, an army, if you will, of Native American warriors with minimal um, support from Butler's Rangers and some militia. So it's an army of Indians against about a third of the Continental Army at the time. The Continental Army player plays conventionally. That is, if you've played any BOAR game, you can sit down and play that side without any, you know, without skipping a beat. But the Native American player has an entire construct of rules that are very different and very unique because they represent combat by warriors as opposed to soldiers. It's different. Um, it's a very um, individualistic. Uh, it's based on, you know, the, the gravitas of the war chief and the sub chiefs and their ability to influence, uh, you know, their, their followers. Um, some players found it difficult to, to make that transition and they, and, and they had to keep going back into the rule book, um, to, to noodle out these unique rules. There's quite a few of them. What we're doing in the tri-pack is we're creating a full color, one page matrix style player aid that will summarize in one place, in an easy to read format, all of those unique Indian rules so that it'll make it a lot easier to, you know, hit the ground running uh, when you play the Indian side. We also tweaked the victory conditions a little bit. Uh, Monmouth um, really doesn't need much. Um, I'm introducing a couple of units. I. I had a uh, uh, John. I'm going to mention his name. John Foskett is a, a player of the of the BOAR series uh, and a friend, and he's uh, an artillerist. His particular unique interest is artillery of the period, and he's been feeding me lots of great resources. Um, and I've learned a lot more about the composition of the artillery on both sides at Monmouth. So I've made some changes to the artillery arrays on both sides that'll make it more accurate. Um, and uh, I discovered there were Oneida Indians present. Uh, they were in Lafayette's entourage, about 60 of them. Uh, so um, as a matter of fact, when he came to the United States on his tour in 1822 or 23, 23, I think, um, he made a point of visiting the Oneida village to reconnect with some of his uh, messmates from, uh, that's from great. that campaign, and um, so I'm introducing an Oneida, an Oneida light infantry um, unit uh, that has to has to stay within a hex or two of Lafayette at all times uh, on the on the board. Germantown, the game is solid, but the rule book, and I'll I'll call it I'll call it out on myself when we published Germantown. <clears throat> Um, we didn't do a good job with the original rule book. And of all the games in the series, now 10 unique battles, or 10 unique titles, I, I should say, in about 13 battles, only the Germantown rule book was a mess. And as a result of that, there was a, a, a whole lot of living rules that had to go out and pronto. 
over the years, people have gotten accustomed to that. Most players have printed those off and have absorbed those now, and they understand, you know, the the way to play the game. But for somebody brand new, if you pick up, if you can find a copy of Germantown and you open it up, you'd be as confused today as they people were when I when I published it. So, or when GMT published it. So, we so the rule book is getting the Rob McCracken treatment. Uh, he's my ace Cracker Jack developer, and He's going to um, uh, give us a brand new rule book, which will, um, you know, which will fix once and for all, all of all of that stuff. So that's the tri pack. Um, very excited for it. Um, I, I think uh, I think a lot of people out there are going to be happy when it when it oh, hits. Yeah, the absolutely. And it's great to hear there's some enhancements, too, that it's not just uh, just a reprint. So uh, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to my tri pack two, my quadra pack tri pack two, uh, for sure. <laughs> now, um, uh, White Plains is at the printer. I understand it's at the printer this morning. We had 803 orders. There's a little, a uh, little bit of ping pong being played with White Plains. It got to 800. It dropped to 796. It Got back up to 800. It crossed 800. It was at 806 the other day. It's back to 803. I'm not quite sure who's tampering with the button. Somebody, <laughs> somebody's messing around with uh, with the button. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I know sometimes people place an order, change their mind, whatever. But uh, but we are you know comfortably now at and slightly over 800. So those orders continue to come in, and it's at the printer. Um, there's a rumor. I guess I can't say it's any more than a rumor at this point, Harold, but there's a rumor that we may have White Plains by Christmas. Um, oh, excellent. I don't know. I guess you I guess you know the uh, Grant and Alexander at the Players Aid. They uh, they coined the phrase. Uh, it's going to be a white Christmas if we have White Plains by Christmas. So uh, that, that was kind of funny, uh, kind of cute. But I hope so. You know, uh, it's a rumor right now. I know there's a lot of games in the pipeline. Um, I've had conversations with Tony Curtis. And, you know, we'll see. Right. We'll see. But uh, White Plains is a big one. If I can just have another extra minute to talk about it. It's um, it's the most ambitious game in the BOAR series so far. Uh, not only because it portrays the two largest armies um, on a battlefield in the series, bigger than Brandywine, bigger than Monmouth, bigger than Germantown, um, bigger even than Savannah, which included a French army on the field as well as the American mm -hmm. army and the British army. Um, we have here uh, 14,500 14, um, against 15,400, some, something like that. I mean, these, these are arguably the largest armies to meet, uh, other than perhaps at um, Long Island itself, or Brooklyn Heights. So, um, so it's ambitious because of its scale. It's ambitious because it's four days, 42 game turns. Wow. I mean, it is a campaign. It's a campaign. And there's a lot of bad weather that you have to contend with um some of the weather is fixed There's the rain gain turns are fixed some of them and some of the 
turns, you have to roll for weather. Um, but altogether, altogether about, is it, is it 60%? I should know this. I'm going to say it's somewhere around 60% of the game turns, maybe just under, are wet. So that's going to affect movement. It's going to affect combat. You have some British elite infantry, the Grenadiers, the Guards, the Highlanders, uh, some of the Hessians, who are not going to be penalized when attacking American fixed positions in the rain. But everybody else will be penalized. And you only have so many of those elite units, so it's risk-reward. If you use them up, and they're gone, so you got to be you know, judicious. Offsetting that, though, uh, 45% of the American army is militia, and this is militia before militia was cool. This is the <laughs> worst possible militia. Uh, these are the guys who ran away at Kipps Bay. I mean, threw down their muskets and ran. And Washington rode up and and, you know, are these the men with, with whom I'm supposed to defend America? You know, as he tried to hit him with the flat of his sword as they streamed past him. Uh, so there are five or six rules here in the game that, um, that affect the American militia. Um, will they stand to artillery fire? They, they may, you know, if, if the British player targets them, they may not even stand to receive the fire. If a unit in an adjacent hex or in a or uh, with whom they're stacked gets disrupted, they have to take a morale check to see if they also disrupt and flee. Um, you know, these are extra extra handicaps to the American player for his militia that you don't have in some of the games later in the war. They're still militia. They're still lower morale. They still don't you know hold up well against regulars no matter when you use them in the series generally. But here at, at um, White Plains, they're particularly fragile. There's uh, some rules for scorched earth. There's uh, the possibility to burn the village of White Plains. That's a opportunity card play. Um, anyway, four days, of two maps. Two maps put, you know, butted together on a central seam. Oh, great. Hard mounted, of course hard mounted really good gmt stuff like like always um and it's the and, first time you've done two maps isn't it yeah yeah it is because i wanted one inch hexagons i absolutely wanted uh. one inch hexagons because if you go back to the first games in the series herald uh saratoga uh, uh brandywine and utah springs take out your ruler those are one inch hexagons and over the course of the series, 24 years, the hexes have been getting smaller. Um, you know, five eighths, well, that's the size of the chit. So a five eighths hex and a five eighths counter, you, you got no room. You can't see the ground. Your fingers start knocking stacks over and stuff. And so I say, we got to go back to a one inch hex. And, you know, I don't want to shrink the battlefield to conform to the current size of the hex sheets. So let's let's go big. And, you know, to GMT's credit, they were willing to work with me on that. And and I think players will be really pleased. And speaking of the map, I got to give a shout out to Charlie Kibler. You know, with each map that comes out in the series and there have been some great artists, Mark, you know, Mark Simonich has done some maps, Joe Yaust way back in the day, uh, they're all good. 
and I love them all when they come out, but I, I can't take my eyes off this map. It's spectacular. It's autumn in the Hudson Valley of New York State. I mean, the palette is gorgeous. I had uh, maybe 12, if not 15, renderings of, of historical buildings, and I asked Charlie, hey, don't just do me a generic house here or a generic tavern. Here's, the, here's a picture of the, you know, the Hatfield Tavern. Please draw it according, and he did. And wow. there's like 12 or 15 of those. Um, the field works look great. The American player is dug in when the game starts. Um, just terrific stuff. And I think, uh, you know, if the game is compelling visually, it just pulls you right in, man. You yeah. know, you lose yourself. So, yeah. so good job there by Charlie. And I think uh, folks are really, really gonna gonna like it. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, nice maps make me look like a better designer. So uh, <laughs> I don't. You don't need that help, but I certainly do. You know. Um, so so uh, White Plains is number ten. Yep. Is that right? But we're well, not going to stop at number 10. 10. We're not stopping. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to be a one-trick pony in 1998, <laughs> and God was good. And uh, here we are uh, all these years later and a full-fledged series that, if anything, is growing in popularity and expanding in, you know, uh, in its uh, base of players. It's wonderful. Um, but I remember when Rhode Island, which is number nine, was in the can. You you theatrical people know what in the can means. Yeah, in the can so means all the different work... things. So, <laughs> well, yeah. So it was it was off my table and at GMT and in somewhere in the production queue. So I was done with it, and I was up at PressCon and. Um, we were playing the BOAR tournament. There were about a half dozen people in the room at the time looking over the shoulders of whoever was playing that particular game that evening. And someone said, hey, Mark, you know, how many of these are you going to do? I said, well, number nine's in the can. <laughs> and I'm, I'm starting uh, to work on number 10. It's going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, process around number 10. I, I, I made myself a vow that, that I would do 10 games once it became clear this this had legs as a series. And uh, GMT was willing to back me and keep keep riding with me on this. So I said, you know, I'll do 10 because 10 is like some kind of statement, looks good on a bookshelf and it's a legacy I feel I can leave to my kids, you know? Right. Um, so I'll do 10, that was my answer. And the six people like in unison said, you, you can't stop with 10. There were 13 colonies. You, you can't do a series on the American Revolution and not do 13. And, you know, there's a there's a logic to that. And so so that's my new that's my new target. And I'm and I'm already um, starting in the research phase for number 11, which is going to be the Battle of Green Spring Plantation which was the prelude to Yorktown. Mm. And uh, I'm going to be on the ground um, in about five weeks. 
uh, up in Virginia. I'm, I'm, some friends of mine and I are going to be spending a week at Williamsburg, and we're taking side trips, of course. And we're going to invest a half a day to go, you know, 10 minutes down the road to uh, Green Spring. There's no battlefield park. There's a handful of interpretive signs, most of them at one intersection of a couple of rural roads. But uh, my understanding is that the uh, the ground is essentially unchanged. It remains bucolic to this day. A few farms, no housing projects, no high rises, no strip malls. You know, you can actually cruise around those roads, walk a little bit, and get a good sense of what happened there. And that's so, unusual, um, isn't it? we're going to spend. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, we're going to spend some time, some quality time there, and you know, do the measurements, do the sight lines, do do what I like to do, and make sure my map is going to be as good as it can be. Um, it's an interesting situation. It's your Cornwallis's last victory. Um, he laid an ambush for Lafayette, who was um, shadowing the British Army as it was maneuvering in Virginia. Uh, Clinton was requesting that Cornwallis send some reinforcements back to New York um, because Clinton was anticipating that the Franco-American armies would attack New York. Of course, Washington always wanted to attack New York. Um, so he, he felt like he needed some reinforcement. And so Cornwallis was obliged to march from Williamsburg uh, via the Jamestown Ferry at the James River across to, um, I want to say Portsmouth, I, I might have that wrong, but uh, across to where he could embark on ships and, and send some men north. Well, Lafayette was shadowing him. Von Steuben was there as well. The American army outnumbered the British army, but it was the American army was scattered a bit. Lafayette was forward with the advanced elements. Steuben was further back. Uh, Cornwallis, I think, I think he was fond of calling Lafayette the boy. You know, <laughs> the boy is, is, is after me. So, and he knew him to be, you know, aggressive and hot-blooded and impetuous and all that stuff. So he laid an ambush for him. He sent some faux deserters back to the American lines to say that the bulk of the American army had already crossed the James River, uh, bulk of the British army had already crossed the James River and that only a rear guard was left basically holding the crossing for the last few elements to cross. And uh, so Lafayette sent Anthony Wayne forward with uh, the Pennsylvanians to overrun the um, the uh, this supposed rear guard. Well, it turns out that the skirmishers who represented the rear guard troops were under orders to make a fighting withdrawal, give the appearance of giving ground grudgingly to draw uh, Wayne deeper in in pursuit and then at the appropriate moment every british soldier in virginia it seems you know appeared uh most in the front coming out of a wood line some around the american left flank and um and it was uh you know it was a hot mess uh anthony wayne in order to uh salvage a retreat and get out of there um ordered a bayonet charge 
one regiment, um, and shame on me, I'm forgetting which one right now. I, but uh, one of his Pennsylvania regiments did a bayonet charge to, to just kind of shock and awe the British, hold them in place long enough for the bulk of the American troops to, to fall back. It worked at great cost, of course. Um, Cornwallis didn't pursue, despite Tarleton's urging, did not pursue. So here we're going to have, you know, a historical scenario that's going to show essentially just uh, Anthony Wayne and the vanguard coming forward. Um, but as I like to do, I offer multiple scenarios. So we're going to figure out a way to uh, bring more force to bear and, and turn this into something larger than it was historically. I mean, if uh, if Lafayette had supported Wayne more vigorously right from the jump, there would have been more Americans forward right away. And if von Steuben had not dragged his feet bringing up the reserve, but then again, the you know, the numbers would have been telling. But as it is, um, it's going to make for an interesting historical scenario and then a, a nicer, larger uh, battle situation. Looking forward to the research. Um, you know, it's now that I'm semi-retired, Harold, it's taking me about one year from concept to uh, to um, something suitable to turn into GMT, uh, as opposed to two and a half years per title when I was raising a family and building a career, you know. So so uh, a year is not a long time. And about the time that the Tri-Pack 2 is flying off the shelves, we should have volume 11 ready to announce. That's exciting. Uh, well, I, as you talked about that, I was just saying the boy and uh, Alexander Hamilton certainly uh, made a great showing for themselves at Yorktown, right? Those assaults on the, yeah. Uh, indeed, indeed, they did, yes. Yeah. We'll a, be going to Yorktown while we're there. I, I've been before, but we'll make a junket over there and spend a few hours. Um, I haven't been there since they built their new visitor center, so I'll be interested in seeing seeing that, of course, and walking the ground again. And um, Yeah, I was there, um, you know, I was there a, three or four years ago with Volko and um, you know, we, we walked everything right from the French artillery park all the way across to, to the, uh, to the front lines and into the town. And then, you know, one of the most interesting parts to me where I really visualized um, you know, the, 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 the two improved positions that Hamilton and, and, and Lafayette took uh, number nine and 10 or 10 and 11. Yeah. Um, nine and 10 nine and 10, uh, that's a powerful place to go to, to really, when you think about, you know, they, they entered those with bayonets, right? It was, it, they went in committed hand to hand against the greatest army in the world. Yeah. And it was really, that's extraordinary. But the other thing that touched me was, uh, to go down to the water on the, uh, on the back of where, where, um, where Cornwallis would have crossed right where he where he tried to cross but the storm prohibited him from getting across and and would have you know gone free right um at least he would have crossed and headed up you know north toward new york uh and wasn't able to and that that strange little the, the, the little storm that that created the impossibility of him crossing uh made it all a fait accompli it's really 
quite amazing all of the uh, stars that aligned uh, at the same time. I wonder, I wonder, yeah, you know, you, you bring up an interesting uh, notion. It might be fun to uh, analyze the war from the perspective of its weather, because I mean, I immediately, as you were telling that, I immediately thought of the providential fog that allowed Glover to row the American army from Brooklyn Heights over to Manhattan. Yes. Uh, right under the guns of the British ships in the harbor, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, how many times, I don't know the answer. How many times was there something that could be called, some might call providential, you know, <laughs> that allowed something significant to happen or prevented it mm -hmm. as the case may be. So that might be an interesting uh, analysis to do sometime. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's uh, there's actually a couple of weather cards in Liberty or Death. Uh, and and uh, one of them is if it hadn't been so stormy. And the other one is if it hadn't been so foggy. And, uh, you know, both of them are those sorts of odd situations uh -huh. right that really saved i mean the you know the retreat from new york saved the the american army the, the patriot army at that point right i mean it was it was yep. the end yep. yeah amazing yep. so um that's volume 11 volume 12 tell me about volume 12. uh don't know yet um i can tell you that there's a uh the southern contingent of my fan base are clamoring for uh, something I teased about many years ago. Uh, I called it the Southern Quad. Uh, some uh, things like Briar Creek and maybe Hopkirk's Hill, um, Camden perhaps. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. If I do another siege game, we've done two, Savannah and Pensacola. They're each a bit different from each other. Um, if I were to do one more, it would be Charleston, 1780. Um, I lived in Charleston, um, actually owned a historical tour and transportation company there for seven years. Um, so I, I really had an opportunity to I really get very granular with the history of Charleston, all of its history, but certainly in this context of this conversation, the Revolutionary War period. Um, my in-laws still live there. I'm there all the time. You know, I can I can see the ground in my mind's eye when I shut my eyes. So it, I, if I do another one, it would be Charleston. Um, but I but I don't know. Part of my Part of my approach, you know, has been to try to represent all of the um, theaters. Um, so we have Georgia, we have South Carolina, we have North Carolina. With volume 11, we'll have Virginia. Um, we have, certainly have New York covered. We have New Jersey, we have Pennsylvania. New England is underrepresented, though, so uh, perhaps Volume Twelve deserves to be something in New England. And and I and having said that, I I have another thought that's followed hot on the heels of that one. If I did something in New England, I might 
want to do something with Benedict Arnold as a British officer. Mm. You know, his shenanigans in Long Island Sound, his raids in Connecticut and so forth. Um, those and, are small and actions. In, so raids it, in Virginia as well, as I recall. Well, yes, yeah, that's right. But he's gone by the time of Green Spring. I, when I first was thinking about Virginia, I said, "Oh, and it's 1781. I could, I could have Benedict Arnold as a British general in the series, which would be so cool." Um, but he was relieved and went back north um, not long after Cornwallis arrived. It had been Arnold and Phillips. Um, but Ar- Arnold was sent back north and then commenced his some of his his raiding and things up there. So he's not at the Battle of Green Spring. Um, but um, you know that that's a possibility. We need to get we need to get to Massachusetts or Connecticut or well, we have Rhode Island. I, I shouldn't say New England is not represented, but it's certainly underrepresented in the uh, you know in the series. So. I don't know, Harold, exactly. Uh, if you have a favorite, send it to me. I'll consider it. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. Why is there not a, a why, why don't we have better Yorktown games? Why not Yorktown? I mean, you certainly can't argue that there's a more important siege in the history. No, but um, I don't know that... I don't want to say that there's not a game there. It would take it would take some pretty creative thinking around how to structure victory conditions and I mean I played a bunch of Alamo games and the Texans never survive. You win by lasting longer than the historical Texans did. Well, Okay, that's fun once or twice, right? You know, to see if you can do it. Um, but Cornwallis was trapped and uh, and outnumbered and outgunned and outsupplied, if you will. And um, I don't know, I don't know. In Charleston, the American army could have broken out. There were opportunities. Um, it became political because the you know, the citizenry didn't want the city to be abandoned. Then they changed their mind and wanted it declared an open city. I mean, it was, there was a lot of back and forth there politically. Uh, but the American army could have been, had the opportunity to do more than they did. So that could be a game. Savannah, um, you know, the way we built it, and even Pensacola, the way we built that, there's opportunity for the defensive player to sortie and do quite a bit, at least in the early phases of those games, before he truly has to hunker down and take the the best that the attacker can throw at him. Um, I just don't know about Yorktown. Uh, maybe when I go this time in five weeks, my mind will be changed. Right. Maybe I'll maybe I'll latch on to something, Harold, that you know that just changes my mind. But it's probably my familiarity with Charleston. My, my, I was married there. Both my kids are born there. I mean, I, I know it intimately. So I think it's that level of familiarity that makes me gravitate toward it more so than, than Yorktown. 
you know, I and the reason I bring it up is is as I said, there's no more important, maybe not a more important battle. I would even argue more than Saratoga, than at least that's my argument would be Yorktown, right? And and the surrender at Yorktown unequivocally ended the war, um, not not at that moment, right? But but it but at that point we knew it was oh well we you know I wasn't around at the time but um, it it was over and um, and you know there's some interesting angles to it so I'm, I'm going to feed you just a few ideas and then your big brain can turn them into something uh, workable but you know the, what, there's a handful of what ifs right what if um, what if uh, Cornwallis had taken action to cross the river and get out of there earlier. And and there was a there was a a, a um, I don't know what you would call it there was a force across the river that was anticipating at Gloucester, Gloucester Point yeah yes so 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 that's one alternative the second one is what what if the the patriots and the French had had saw the need to assault sooner right I mean if if it wasn't for the storm. Um, Cornwallis and most of his force would have made it across the river and and gotten out of Yorktown. So if you know that, right? I mean, of course you don't know there's a storm coming, but if you if you know that they can get out, then it certainly increases the pressure to assault and get in there quicker. And then the other question is what happens? What happens if um, you know the battle? Uh, what was it? Was it the Capes? Um, th- where? Uh, what if the British had held their own and Clinton had seen to it to reinforce Yorktown, right? So I don't know that any of those are satisfying for you, Mark, but um, but again, right, it's, it's just such an important uh, part of the history. Um, I would love to see a good game on it, and we, we never have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Well, there's no denying, I, I think, that the the war was lost at Saratoga because of French intervention, which was guaranteed by Saratoga. And once there was French intervention, you're on the clock now. You're on the clock, and the clock's going to run out. And if it doesn't run out at Yorktown, it'll run out somewhere else. Clinton's not going to leave New York. There's one army left. It's running around Virginia. It's a shadow of its former self. Um, Green is retaking South Carolina at the post by post at this point. Um, if it, if not Yorktown, then it would have been somewhere else. So you know, we we look. I coached uh, a lot of baseball. Grow you know when my boys were growing up. You remember the last play, the last error, the last hit, the, some decisive final moment that gives you a game. But I was always fond of saying, hey, it wasn't Billy's error that allowed them to score and win the game. Yeah, I mean, that was the last play. But the game was lost across the span of seven innings when we did not execute these opportunities, when we did not. You know, when we gave them four outs in an inning because we dropped we 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 dropped a, a sure a sure you know catch and foul ground on a on a you know on a pop up that would have been the third out. So now he gets second life and 
he now he gets a hit, you know, or I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a collection of events. Um, so we're going to always remember Yorktown in our in our mythology, uh, our anaply of heroes and our foundation story. It's always going to have a rightful prominent place because it was the last big thing. But the last big thing could have been anywhere after French intervention. It just happened to be Yorktown. Sure. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with so, you. It's an, so, it's an eight-year war. And, so. and, what if he, and what if he got away? What if he got away, Harold? So now he's on the other side. Where is he going? He's going to New York. Where is he going to go? He's going to go to New yeah, York. But right? I mean, Clinton... He's got a long He's got a long way to walk. Well, if he can't, and, if he can't get, if he can't get to a port, right? Yeah, but now the French Navy's in play. Yeah, but you know the French Navy's a fickle bunch, right? They're they're in and out and in and out, right? <laughs> Plenty of history of that. Fair and, point. And you know, fair it's, point. Fair point. It's interesting, you know. Uh, Clinton at that point seemed to be suffering from some mental illness, right? I mean, a, a highly competent senior officer that uh, didn't want the post those last two years. And uh, and it wow. seems like most of the communications with Cornwallis those last six months were come back, come back, come back, send troops back if you're not coming, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, interesting. And that's, I love, uh, I love talking about it. Who knows, who knows, right? How it, how it could have played out, but uh but I do want to see that Yorktown game. So I'm going to keep our, every time you see me, that's going to be the theme of the discussion. It's going to be, Hey, Mark, how about, what about Yorktown? As All a matter right. of I'll, I'll gird my, I'll gird my loins. For <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the six people that listen to this podcast are also going to side with me. And so we're, we're going to come at you in numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> hey, um, I had a I had a crazy idea I wanted to run by you and talk to you about a little bit and then we can call it um and and so have you got a minute for a crazy idea? Yeah. Okay. So here it is. What if we So bear with me cuz it takes a little bit of explaining. I see you taking notes that's useful. We're going to you're going to need it cuz there's a lot of stuff about to come out of my mouth. What if we did a pop-up convention? at a location of interest. So the two that I'm thinking about front of mind would be either Ticonderoga, New York, or uh, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, right? So you would be most interested given your work in Ticonderoga, New York. And the idea is we would just set up a pop-up convention where people could come and gather with us and we might arrange some places to meet for dinner and um you know the idea would be um friday and saturday we would tour uh and you know lord knows that ticonderogas there's so much to tour there right there's there's the uh there certainly is the fort itself but we're not far from saratoga and um and and then all of the movement up and down um uh, uh, you know, the, the, the waterways. So, uh, you know, Friday and Saturday, we would spend most or some of that touring. I can imagine you giving us a, a speech there on Fort Ticonderoga about the importance and maybe a little bit of history and, 
Maybe we even find somebody that's an expert on the fort and we arrange for them to help us. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we go to pick up a VFW hall or something there in town and rent it out. Um, we get some of our publisher friends maybe to support that effort. And then people can come and play games on the topic, right? On uh, play the bat your battle of Saratoga or anything else they wanna play on the American revolution. And we just have this informal gathering. People can uh, can set up their own hotels. You know, I, I don't want to create a monster as far as administration. So, you know, what I'd like to, to do is spend my time getting the word out and setting up, you know, the maybe some tour, a couple of tour ideas, and then a couple of uh, days of, of VFW hall or something to play games. And then people can stay wherever they want to stay, whenever they want to do. It's really a low cost option for everybody except for, of course, travel and, and some hotel. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of places to stay there uh, in Ticonderoga um, and plenty of stuff to do. And um, I think it would be good fun. What do, what do you think about that idea? I'll do you one better. I'll up the ante. And I, and I would, and I would suggest that this be done in conjunction with the 250th anniversary of independence, which is coming on us faster than we actually realize at this point. Um, so, so rather than next year, uh, hypothetically, right? Rather than just next year, you take the time to do it right, build it out and promote it and market it as a bicent a, a, a you know 250th anniversary commemorative event um which it's interesting that you're carving out a little bit of time for us to talk about this um we may lose some viewership i think folks are more interested in hearing about our games than than this, maybe not, but but I'm willing to talk about it for a second because I wanted to bring to your attention on this call, Harold, uh, that there is a need for something to be done. Mm -hmm. And there's a you know when I did when I did Saratoga in 1998, the landscape for American Revolutionary War gaming did not look like it looks today. There were not esteemed designers such as yourself and, and Mark Herman and so many others doing quality Rev War games as we now see. Some pretty innovative ones too. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, you know Maurice Suckling and his new approach to some of the battles and stuff that, that he's done. Freeman's Farm 1777 comes to mind since you're talking about Ticonderoga. So there's, we are, I'm, I won't say we're awash with Rev War games now, no way, we're not awash in them, but it's no longer the fringe topic within the gaming world that it was in 1998, when all the naysayers told Gene Billingsley, don't, don't do this game, it'll never sell, <laughs> meaning Saratoga, you know. Right. Um, that landscape has changed. So now there's enough of us 
and we represent collectively some horsepower, and we should somehow pull the wagon together and do something big for the 250th. Yeah. Big within our world of, of, of gamers, you know, and hobbyists. Um, I have, as you know, in each of my games, I take some bit of pride in offering a historical essay. Um, I even have a notion that wouldn't it be appropriate to take the, by then maybe 12, but certainly 11 essays that will exist by then, maybe 12, in an edited collection, put them in chronologically with some connecting narrative between the chapters to thread the story, you know? Why not? Wouldn't that be a nice add-on product to offer? Yes. um, To our our enthusiasts. Um, There's a lot of things. At the very least, we should be thinking about ways that game companies can bundle games and market them as collections in honor of the upcoming anniversary. I mean, there's so many things, and I don't hear anybody talking about it. It, Who am I, right? I, I don't mean to suggest I should be in on every conversation. They need to include me in conversation. That's not what I'm saying. Anecdotally, I can tell you, I'm not hearing anybody talking about that. And it needs to be talked about yesterday in order to have the time to do it right by 2026. Yeah, yeah. So 26. This idea, excuse me, this idea of, uh, of 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 an event like this fits right into this narrative, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I um, look. I, I think you're right. I think we should we should be planning something for 2026. Um, no question. And you know, is Philadelphia or Boston or you know what or Yorktown? What's the you know Colonial Williamsburg? What's the what's the right place? Uh, is an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. And the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia, I'm a member, they just wrapped uh, a nice Don Troiani exhibit that had been running for several months there. I didn't get to go to it, but I'm a big Don Troiani, you know, fan and his work. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I forget how many of his originals were on display of Rev War, you know, soldiers and battle scenes and civilians and just, you know, thematic coverage of, of that period must have been spectacular but the, but they they have some creative programming that they do they've got great facilities um, um but so does williamsburg right. you know and boston i mean you know there, there's there's you know the where is one question to ask but the first question to ask i think is can we can we pull together enough of, of the preeminent period designers and with the backing of a couple or three companies and actually, you know, 
work toward a goal. Right, right. Agreed, agreed. And what I might suggest uh, is that it might not be a bad idea to experiment a little bit between now and 2026 and, and test this hypothesis that we can gather a group of people around the American Revolution at a site for an event. Um, because that will, you know, if we can pull that off, I think then, then uh, you know, that hypothesis has been tested. And by 26, we should be able to really set something nice up. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I'm with you, and I think we should uh, try to do something in 23 as a test. Well, um, I, it, uh, well begun is half done, so we should, <laughs> you know, there's never an argument against prototyping, beta testing uh, something, never no. an argument against that, not really. Um, you know, um, it may not be a first tier, I mean, it's not a Ticonderoga <laughs> for sure, but you know, we have RevCon every year at Charlottesville. So we just kind of roll in under PresCon and they give us space. Well, Charlottesville. So what does that mean? You've got the University of Virginia. You've got Monticello. You've got um, Montpelier. You've, you don't have a battlefield per se, but you have period interest. There's already a habit among at least mid-Atlantic state gamers and east, east of the Mississippi gamers to go there. Right. That's a habit already. Um, it might be an easier lift if we were thinking of a beta test event to do something in Charlottesville uh, around the, around that time. Uh, it's the, the timing of PressCon uh, is uh, is it's February, right? January or February? Yeah, which unfortunately is right around the corner. So, right. And it's also, but it's, I, I guess I was just thinking it's cold and uh, a tougher time to walk battlefields and, and, um, you know, do anything but inside history. I'm soft. I'm in San Diego, Mark. You know, the year in God's country, that's the, the best weather in the United States is consistently in San Diego, uh, in my opinion. You know, I've, I've been doing, going to, uh, RevCon, PressCon for a lot of years, uh, almost as many as WBC, Avalon Con, and and I would tell you there are some years when there's snow on the ground, mm. and um, even if you have a good cigar, you don't want to go outside and smoke it because it's, <laughs> it's too bloody cold. Uh, and then there are and then there are years, and my wife usually comes with me for the leading weekend, and we make a three day weekend for ourselves go to the very copious wineries and cideries and things in that area. And then she flies home and then I get into the gaming. Uh, there are years when the weather is so mild, we're in, you know, shirt sleeves rolled up to the elbow, sitting out al fresco, drinking wine, eating cheese at a, you know, at, at three or four wineries in a day. Right. Uh, so it's hard to predict. 
it's hard to predict. It's very changeable. I guess the argument is, though, you want some somewhere and a period, you know, you want to be somewhere at a point in time in the year where you can more or less bank on the weather conditions being favorable. I, I get that. Yeah, higher probability. I mean, you've always got rain, right? That's always a possibility. But uh, yeah, I was, you know, I was even thinking maybe as early as May, you know, we can find a slot in May where that avoids some of the other convention draws. And, um, you know, just rally that uh, that historical gamer cadre that's there in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah. Well, May May in the North is still unpredictable. I, I there were many uh, seasons when when I was on the high school baseball team and we had to practice indoors in the gym because it had snowed as late as Easter. Uh, but um, but in the South, May is May is a winner. Right. Yeah. Everything's blooming. Yeah, I didn't even think May about it. Very- you know, the, the whole colonial Williamsburg and its proximity to York, Yorktown and Jamestown and the capital and, um, you know, it's a wonderful, that's another great place. Uh, and uh, it is. It absolutely is. And Lord knows they have facilities. Yeah. Now, they're probably, you know, they're probably not, I mean, if you're talking about Williamsburg's, Williamsburg's facilities, they're not cheap. Um, yeah. They have a great price for a three-day pass. Uh, I've just discovered because, you know, well, like I said, we're going to be up there. Uh, I think it's um, $49.99 for one day per person and $59.99 for three days per person. Oh, wow. So it's a great, it's a great deal for a three day pass. Uh, come and go see it all be all the, all the venues, all the shows, all the, you know, interpretations, everything's open to you uh, for that price. And uh, you know, F and B extra, of course. Yes. But well, let's. Um, I just I wanted to put the bug in your ear and let your big brain start percolating on that. Um, I agree that we ought to think of twenty six and and what we can do then. I also uh, I think we should we should try to rally the troops and see how they rally. Um, you know, I don't I don't want to go to war unless we have some troops with us, Mark. I don't know about you, but this right. Is, uh, right. So um, so anyway, right. but but look, hey. Uh, what a pleasure talking to you again and uh, good to see you. And, and uh, you know, let's, let's talk again soon. I hope so. It's always, uh, it's always a pleasure. I, I, uh, I kind of, I didn't know where we were going to take the conversation necessarily. You had, uh, you had said something about, you know, the other Rev War games I play and stuff. So I spent a few minutes today looking through the, the library and jotting down some notes and I, I got to tell you, uh, um, I still, I still look at liberty or death as top two anyway of strategic treatments of the, of the war. I, I don't think the, just like you said, no one's done Yorktown right, or no one's even done Yorktown or whatever. 
I would say the quintessential masterpiece strategic Rev War game is yet to be designed. But when you look at what's out there, I mean, you're right at the top, Harold. I'm I'm so proud to know you. And um, somehow I keep winning the the tournaments I enter, and yet I would tell you I don't know how to play the game. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's maybe I'm missing. Maybe I'm making, you know, moves that the real the real aficionado, you know, would never consider making. <laughs> well, I, I I'm sure you're doing well. I, look, I thank you for those kind words, and it means a lot to me. I I, I wrote in the designer notes how you influenced my view of the uh, American Revolution, particularly. It's not just a two-player game, right? It's not just the British versus the Patriots, but the French had a had a say. And they were a sovereign Absolutely. nation and this, you know, perhaps the second most powerful country in the world at the time. And to think that they were subordinated to the to, to George Washington and his choices is clearly not the case. Um, so so, uh, you know, that's that really influenced the design. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm just appreciative of you and how much you know about this stuff. And I love talking to you about it. And I love playing your games. And, uh, you know, I just can't say enough great things about you, Mark. So um, with that, uh, thanks again. And let's, um, you know, let's let's set up another time to talk about um, about the other AMREV games. I'd love to hear your perspective. Okay, buddy.